Could you please turn with me to the book of Hebrews? Hebrews chapter 3. And after a week's break, we are back into our series called Jesus is Better. And today we're going to to look at part 2 of the first six verses of Hebrews chapter 3. These verses serve as a, a tightly knit ball of truth that the writer then uses as an extended encouragement to these people to continue to persevere in trusting Jesus Christ. Hebrews 3, 1-6 is expanded out and that takes us all the way into the middle uh, of Hebrews uh, chapter 4. A comparison between Jesus and Moses. And so here's the question that's being asked here in, in, in light of Moses. Jesus is the, the fulfillment it's putting forward Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that Moses in the Old Covenant pointed towards. And the question that's being asked is, why should I believe in Jesus and continue to persevere in the Christian life even when it's hard? And the answer is is that Christ is the fulfillment of all these things you've been hoping for. He is better and no one is better than Him. Why should I believe in Him and continue to persevere in the this difficult Christian life. That's the question that this section is asking and answering. And the uh, really the, the next chapter into chapter 4, right, right up until the section at the end of chapter 4, where they start talking about Christ being the great high priest, that's an encouragement to persevere in the faith. Uh, so that gives us our context. Let's read the uh, this text together, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is the word of the Lord. These people here were being persecuted for their faith in Christ, who is the Messiah of Israel. And they were tempted to go back to Old Covenant Judaism with all of its ceremonies and outward expressions. And all of this, that is, this exhortation to encourage these people to stay in Jesus Christ is driving towards 
a teaching about the superiority of Jesus and the New Covenant, which we'll, we'll get to in a, uh, probably a few months at this point, okay? which is superior in all ways to everything that these people had before. And so it is, it, is, it is crucially important in verse 1 and 2. He reminds them who they are. They are holy people called by God and having a heavenly calling. And I, I mentioned before, this is using the language of the Exodus there in verse 1. It says you have a heavenly calling. It's, this is all using the language of the ex, Exodus. And uh, when you, you're in school, if you think back to English class, you think of uh, a metaphor, you think of a motif, this is what's happening here. He uses the Exodus and Moses as a motif or a metaphor for what Christ does. The Exodus was, of course, God calling his people out of slavery in Egypt into the rest of the land of Canaan. And so this heavenly calling is also God calling his people out of slavery into a rest. But a better rest. A much better rest. Canaan was temporary. talking about an eternal rest. A new heaven and the new earth at the return. This is so helpful for these people that are looking back lovingly on the history of, of Israel being called out of Egypt into the land of Canaan by Moses and he's saying, actually, you've got a much greater exodus going on here. An even greater story. You have a heavenly calling. And we're going to focus on verses 5 and 6 today. Um, and this really sets up the, the, the following weeks of this call to persevere in, in Jesus. Verse 5 and verse 6, let's read them again uh, and see this comparison that the writer of Hebrews is making. It says, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. In chapter 1 and 2, the writer of Hebrews has been contrasting Jesus with, with what? He's been contrasting Jesus with angels. Has he not? That Jesus is greater than the angels. That Jews, the Jews, many Jews believe that the end times would ultimately have a series of messiahs and an angelic figure, the archangel Michael, uh, would rule over the kingdom of God. And so this is, the, this is the cultural bridge that we need to walk over to under, really understand the importance of Hebrews chapter 3. For most of us, if we say... Jesus is better than Moses, we go, well, of course. And if you've been following along, if we say Jesus is better than the angels, well, we, we, we would think, okay, cool, that, that makes sense, but why are you talking about Moses? Of course Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than angels. Because in our post-enlightenment world, if we, if we have any thoughts about angels, they're certainly still better than, than Moses. 
And so this section then appears anticlimactic. Of course Jesus is better than Moses. He's better than the angels. Didn't you hear? What's the point? Well, the point is that amongst Jews, in many cases, Moses was held to being greater even than angels. So this is not anticlimactic. This is actually like Jesus is better than angels and he's better than Moses. Jesus is really, really important and good. William Lane says, It is difficult to exaggerate the importance of Moses to Judaism and the veneration with which he was regarded. Difficult to exaggerate the importance of Moses to Judaism. Now, I brought this out a couple weeks ago, but I want to bring out a couple more examples of this. Uh, Amongst Greek-speaking Jews, I found a couple good examples of how highly regarded um, Moses was by these people. The early church father, Eusebius, uh, he cited a, uh, a play called The Exodus uh, by a guy called Ezekiel, the, the tragedy. And it says, in that play, Moses has a dream and he is shown by God that he will be placed on a heavenly throne and given a crown and a scepter, symbols of kingly authority. That a Jew literally wrote a play where Moses is sitting on a throne as a king with a scepter. Philo of Alexandria, also a, a, a Hellenistic Jew, he calls in his writings, he says, Moses is the high priest. And it just has no bones about it. Moses is the prophet and Moses is the high priest. They just gave Moses this title of being the high priest simply based on the amount of access he had to God because he spoke to God face to face. This is despite only Psalm 99 verse 6 calling Moses a priest in any way alongside Aaron. The Old Testament focus was on Moses being a prophet, not a priest. But what we're saying is shortly after this Hebrews was written, Philo of Alexandria is calling Moses our great high priest. And this kind of teaching helps us to really potentially understand why in uh, verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 3, we've got Christ being called an apostle, which is like a teacher and a prophet sent by God, and a high priest. A priest of our con- confession. It is the high priest of our confession. He's prophet and he's priest. He's sent by God. He goes from God to man and man to God. He's counteracts acting this kind of teaching. So Moses was a very, very big deal to these people. In Deuteronomy 34, verse 10, it says, There has not arisen since a prophet like Moses. But our text tells us that as great as Moses was, he was not God. He was not the Messiah, and he served the Messiah. He served that Son. Both Moses and Jesus are faithful in their callings, but 
That is where the comparison ends. Jesus was faithful to what God asked him to do. Moses was faithful to what God asked him to do. That is where it ends. Christ is worthy of greater glory and honor in the house of God because Christ is the Son. The Son is also God who is the builder of all things and Moses was simply a servant. What is this house, if you weren't here, what is this house that's being talked about here? In verse 6 it says, We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boast and in our hope. It's the people of God. It is a, a house made with human living stones. It's not talking about a literal brick building. 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 15 says, If I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. The house is the, in Greek, ecclesia, the, the, the called out ones that gather, that meet. And uh, we're going we're gonna to get into how that worked in in the Old Testament. Because we see that Moses was part of this house. There's one house and Moses is part of it. Alright, so let's really dig into to verse 5 about Moses being the servant. The focus is on the prophetic function of Moses and Christ in verse 5. It says that Moses had a job. What was Moses' job as a servant? Look in the text. What's his job? Moses is a servant. Did he cook the food? Did he do the dishes? Did he tend the garden? What was his job as a servant? His job, it says, is to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. To speak and to write down, to testify on behalf of God. So that tells us that Moses is a, a servant by being a prophet who testifies. But how then is Christ the prophet in this house? Where does that come into it? What has this got to do with the prophetic ministry of Christ? The answer is, this is saying that Christ is a prophet on the basis of the fact that he is the Son. Now bear with me, we've got to make a, a few little leaps here. We've mentioned before uh, in, in Hebrews that the Son, the firstborn Son, that's what's being talked about, in ancient societies, the firstborn son was the heir. It's hopefully uncontroversial to us by now. He was the heir. It's not very egalitarian. The firstborn son inherited the father's estate. But it goes above and beyond that. Because we're not just speaking of houses uh, the way that we do here in New Zealand. When many of us think of houses, right, we're thinking three-bedroom house, mom, dad, uh, 1.9 kids. 
uh, dog, uh, fence, that, that's the house. When we're talking houses here, there's household. Bano, it's like it's extended, it's immediate family, it's extended family, it's servants, it's multiple generations, the whole household. And it says that Christ is the son in this household. And so, therefore, when the firstborn son speaks, he speaks on behalf of the father. One of the roles of the Son was to be the Father's representative. If the Son said something, the firstborn Son said something, it's an order directly like it comes from the Father. So he doesn't just inherit all things, he's also the Father's representative. Okay? Now, this might sound new to many of you, but there are many scriptures which help us see this. So we're going to get into those. Moses testifies to the things that are to be spoken later. Christ's role as son is to testify to those things spoken right then that Moses had been pointed to. He speaks about that which has already come. The crucial text that ties all of this together and as I look at, the, uh, look at the time in Hebrews, there is so much content. Right? So I'm mentally preparing myself to, to chop my sermon in half again. Um, the crucial text here is Deuteronomy chapter 18. Hear these words. Verse 15. This is Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. And then verse 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command you. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I will I myself will require it of him. Okay? So that text is saying that Moses tells the people of Israel, there's going to be a prophet, he's going to be greater than me, and God's going to directly tell him what to say. Okay? There's going to be one greater than me coming. Who is this prophet? One of the beautiful things about Scripture is how Scripture interprets Scripture for us. Acts chapter 3, when Peter is preaching, he quotes Deuteronomy 18 and says, the prophet is Jesus. So we have an infallible, inspired, apostolic interpretation of this text. This prophet that Moses is speaking of in Deuteronomy 18 is Jesus. Now let's bring in the idea of the Son who speaks on behalf of the Father. Matthew 17, verses 5 and 6. We remember that text called the Transfiguration up on the mountain? Really one of those texts that, you know, you read the Bible, you read it a few times, you don't quite know what to do with it. 
Matthew 17, 5 and 6. Up on the mount, Peter, James, and John. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. There's a tie between sonship and speaking on behalf of the Father. And that is why Hebrews begins with, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son whom he appointed the heir of all things. People, friends, this, though it seems just technical, it seems, okay, Moses speaks, Jesus speaks, this is one of the keys to unlocking how we read the Old Testament. Because the New Testament is telling us explicitly what we're meant to do with Moses and the Old Covenant. Right here. It says that Moses testified to things that were to be spoken later. And the Son is the one who speaks those later things. Because we're called to listen to the Son. And Hebrews tells us we're called to listen to the Son. What does the Son have to say? What does the Son have to say? The Son has to say the Gospel. That's what it is. That's, that's what this is all about. The good news. So it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard what God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts to the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Jesus declares, Jesus God declares the good news of the gospel. A message of salvation from sin, Satan, death, and hell. A message of the rule of the kingdom of God that Christ ascends after rising from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father. He's enthroned in heaven after making purification for sins. He sits down and he rules over his kingdom. And all those who are part of the household of God here alive on this earth, a part of this kingdom, because they're living under his lordship. They've shown himself to live under his lordship by being baptized into his death and resurrection and showing that they belong to him. Because of the incarnation of the Son taking on our human flesh to save us through his perfect righteous life, his death on the cross, his resurrection from the grave, this is good news. The Son's message 
is essentially that there is no salvation in any other name apart from his name. And from Joel chapter 2, that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the name of the Lord that we must call upon is Christ. The Son pronounces the message of judgment for sin, that he does the judging. That's how the book of Revelation uh, chapter 19 what tells us the son is the judge and he's also the savior and this means this means that to reject the gospel message is to reject the son who speaks on behalf of the father And to them face the Father's judgment, which is enacted by the Son, because He's given all things to the Son. That's John chapter 5. What then about Moses? What do we do with Moses then? Moses was the great figure of the Old Covenant. We're told in uh, chapter 2 that God gave right at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 2, that God gave Moses the laws through angels on Mount Sinai that were to constitute Israel a nation in the promised land. These were the Ten Commandments, the civil laws, the ceremonial laws relating to, to religious worship and the tabernacle. And Moses wrote these laws down, ultimately the reason for why he was so well respected. He wrote these laws down and he gave them to the people on behalf of the Father. He gave, essentially, Israel their national identity. And Moses is then equated with the Old Covenant. Do this, and you will live long in the land. So much so that many people call it the Mosaic Covenant. And Hebrews chapter 3, and this excites me, and I hope it excites you. Hebrews chapter 3 tells us then the whole point of all of this the whole point of this enormous chunk of our Bible, the whole point of these covenants were to point forward to Jesus. That Moses testified to the things to be spoken later. That was his function. Moses was temporary. He was an intermediary. He was not the end. If you read the Bible and the Old Covenant and Moses and national Israel is the end of salvation, you're missing something. You're missing the point. Moses was never an end to himself. The laws, the temple, the Passover. That's why we read Exodus 12 on the Passover pointing forward to Jesus. And so we, when we read the Old Testament, which I hope you do, we highly respect it, and we read it, and we look at the bulk of it, which is under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant, and we go, how does this point to Jesus and His greater salvation? 
Oscar Clark writes, In short, the purpose of national Israel and the Mosaic Covenant was to point forward to Christ and the New Covenant, also made with Israel. Put another way, Moses works for Jesus, not the reverse. Such an important point. And so this means that if we want to honor Moses, then you need to honor Jesus. If you come across a, a, a Jew um, and, and you strike up a conversation with him, that's your encouragement. You want to honor Moses. Every Jew wants to honor Moses. You want to honor Moses, you need to honor Jesus. What I'm going to do in uh, a couple weeks' time when we get to the start of uh, Hebrews chapter 4 is we're going to look at Old Covenant salvation. How did that work? The role of the Holy Spirit um, in the Old Testament where we indwelt. Was the Spirit only external? How did that all work? Uh, and But we're going to get to that uh, in a couple weeks' time. Okay? Boys in the front are smiling here. Hebrews chapter 3 makes it very, very clear that any Jew, that any Gentile, us here, enjoys the eternal benefits of God's presence, not because of Moses, not because of the Old Covenant, but because of Jesus Christ. And that God used Moses to constitute the people of Israel as a nation. And he gave them laws, and he led them to their land, and he helped give them their identity. But Christ does something better. Hebrews 2.10, it says, For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom, all things exist in bringing many sons to glory should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Moses constituted Israel as a nation with land and laws and Christ constitutes the covenant people as sons. And what that means is he gives the inheritance due to him which is, all things, gives it to his fellow sons, his brothers and sisters. That's part of the wonderful access that we have. We get the eternal benefit of God's presence. So Moses serves Christ. Such an important principle. And then, in the second half of verse 6, we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Ask yourself what that's saying. This text is not asking us to do much, but it's eternal importance. Hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. What's this saying? Hold on to Jesus Christ. Don't let him go. Salvation is in his name. This is an example of the fact that a Christian is someone who holds his confidence, 
confide, Latin, with faith. We have faith in Christ and the hope for everything that he brings, the fullness of his salvation. It says that if we hold fast to that, we are his house. Persevere. We're called, don't cling to Moses, don't cling to your heritage for us, don't cling to anything external, don't cling to anything else. Just hold fast, hold on to Jesus. He's the head of the house. He's the son. He saves us by adopting us into this house, into the Father's house, giving us the inheritance with him. We receive it by faith. We hold on by faith. Don't let go. Don't let go. We come now to a part of Hebrews that people struggled with. Many people don't like the book of Hebrews because it contains a number of warnings. It does contain a number of warnings. Here, chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 10. They don't like Hebrews because they say, oh, does this mean I can lose my salvation? Those kind of questions. We'll get there. What this is putting forward to us right here is that we have a far greater responsibility than Old Covenant Israel. We have a far greater responsibility. And here's why. Under the Old Covenant, if you didn't listen to the Mosaic Covenant, God's laws, if you didn't listen to Moses the prophet, what was the punishment? Or you, you could be killed yourself for adultery and a few things like that, but ultimately the punishment was exile from the land. If the people didn't listen to God's prophet, they would be exiled from the land. And the reason why I say biblically that we have a greater responsibility is that failure to listen to the Son brings what sort of exile? Exile from that eternal rest. That's the threat of curse. Don't listen to Moses. People get kicked out of the land of promise. Don't listen to Christ. Hell. Not the most encouraging truth, but that is reality. Failure to listen to Christ, the rejection of the gospel, leads to a different sort of exile, and it is far worse. And so therefore we have a, a greater responsibility. Moses serves Christ. We must listen to Christ and hold fast our confidence and persevere. And the way to do that is to not get into some kind of internal, looking at self, very scared, fearful kind of Christianity that's very introspective, 
freaked out, am I in, am I out kind of Christianity. It's not the way to go. He says there in Hebrews 3.1, Therefore, holy brothers who share in a heavenly calling. He's made you holy. He's given you salvation. Hold on to Him. Do not let go as long as you live. And that is our call today. Let's ask the Holy Spirit to allow this to happen for each and every one of us here, right?